Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. duty like Dr. Bob says. It's my pleasure. I feel that it's also a way for me to pay back what was so freely given to me. And additionally, someone I know once said, you know, that we always hear about gratitude. I'm grateful. I'm very grateful. And he said he thinks of the word gratitude as an action word. So what are my actions showing that support my gratitude? And so I like to think that doing service whenever I'm asked to do service when at all possible, is a way for me to show the gratitude that I have for AA. Because I never thought that I could actually get sober and be happy. Like that combination, Mm -hmm. I didn't think could exist. Like not drinking and happiness didn't seem like a combination that went together. And um, usually, you know, when I, I always try to condense you know, when we're up here speaking, we try to condense everything down to 15 minutes. We're always, like, cutting everything out. So, um, tonight, maybe, so most people know me here, so maybe you'll hear a little bit more about who I am, where I came from. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn. You know, that's the motherland of us all, I think. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, like, now when I look back on my life, there were very positive things and very negative things. You know, my family life was not very positive. You know, it was a violent, chaotic home. And um, that wasn't so positive for me. But when I was outside, you know, with my little hoodlum friends, you know, <laughs> we, uh, I was happy. You know, I was just a little kid playing. And, um, but I bring that up, not because, you know, I am a proud Brooklynite, but really because, you know, when I was younger and I would look at my family and it was really, you know, very chaotic a lot of things that went on, early on I felt this feeling of not belonging. You know, we hear that in AA. We feel like we never fit in. We don't belong. But there I was, you know, me and my cohort, who, you know, sitting like, look at these people. They're crazy. And I don't know why I had that feeling where that voice came from when I looked around at, you know, the chaos that was going on. You know, I guess maybe when I was, you know, I'd be at other people's houses and I saw, like, Oh, these people don't act like this. They seem very nice to each other. I don't want to be here, you know? And um, and so that feeling would, you know, dominate my life. Now, that feeling isn't the reason why I'm an alcoholic. That has, but that is a, one of the feelings that was predominant throughout and made alcohol that effect so appealing to me, you know, because... 
you'll hear about that a little later on. So, like I said, growing up there, um, there were a lot of positive things, and eventually my parents would divorce, and we'd move out here to Long Island. Now, I thought Long Island must have been created on the seventh level of Dante's Inferno. <laughs> I was like, oh, shell shock. You know, you people didn't know what a stoop was? <laughs> <laughs> hanging out on them? <laughs> what do you people do? <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And it was very, you know, even though it's only not that far away, but culturally it was very different from where I grew up. Where I grew up, what was important is that was a big convoy. So it's like you get on, you know, climb that tree, get on the roof, hit that person with a so calm down, you know, that, that was important stuff. Here it was what you wore, where you were going, who you had out with, you had to get driven everywhere. Like, Where's the subway? You know, I was like confused. So once again, that feeling of, of not belonging, you know. And I still didn't really feel like I, even though my mom divorced, my biological father, who was in the past, he didn't marry me after I was in that alcoholic life. Like, you know, I always dreamed of a day when in my home all my dining room chairs would match. Yeah. <laughs> Our family liked to break things, you know, so dining room chairs, they're always mismatched, but it wasn't necessarily like a design theme, you know, that we have. <laughs> so I figured that's when I would arrive, like when my dining room chairs would match, I'd be there. And um, so here I was in Long Island, with that same feeling again. And I had said, you know, I never wanted to be <coughs> like them. You know, because to me, I was like, I was never going to drink. I was never going to smoke cigarettes. I was just not going to be like this. And then one day, yeah, I had been hanging out with some people who were older than me, and I thought they were very cool. And basically, they seemed to drink a lot. So one day, I, I drank a lot. And that was like, I feel like when I say, like, my first drink, like, the light should be dim, some, like, you know, some soft music should come on. Yeah, it was like, it was like falling in love. It was the most magical moment for me. Because suddenly, everything I felt, not belonging, self-conscious, feeling, all these feelings that maybe a normal teenager probably feels anyway, was gone. I felt great. So, but I felt great. I was like, oh, my God, now I know why these people are drinking all the time. And now I didn't know that very first time that I drank alcoholically. And I wouldn't know what to being an alcoholic was for a very long time. Even when I came into AA, I didn't know what an alcoholic was. To me, I had a, a different image in my mind of what that was. So, uh, really, I just... After that moment on, I just drank. Everything I did, I drank. I loved to drink. And, you know, I can tell you all the things I did in my life, but I was just always drinking. You know, I managed to go through college, but it took me a very long time. I worked in restaurants and bars. And people in restaurants and bars, I don't know if you guys know this, they like to drink too. <laughs> and they don't really mind if you're drinking so much either. And it's a good way to not have to spend as much money drinking. So this was a fabulous thing for me. I thought I had arrived. But along the way, you know, of this great facade I had, if you took a moment and stopped, really, you know, I wasn't hungover, I wasn't drunk, you might find out 
and I was so unhappy. I was really unhappy, and I didn't know, I felt like something was wrong with me, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. So, you know, I pursued therapy and psychiatric care and Oprah. And when Oprah came out, I was like, this is going to be, she's going to have a show and I'm going to watch the right show about, you know, because I thought Oprah had all the answers. I still think, yeah, a lot of people seem to think that about it. And they didn't have doctors, thank God. And yet, you know, I... I didn't find any answers, you know. I didn't really, I found a great vocabulary to talk about what was wrong with me, you know. I could really, and what was wrong mostly also with you guys. Because you guys was why there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really anything wrong with me if you guys all just, you know, straightened out what and flew right. I wouldn't be in such a pickle all the time. <laughs> and I guess the person who you're giving a lot of money to sometimes agrees with that. Not always. But some of them would sometimes say things to me that disturb me. There are people along the way who, it's not like I was drinking like an alcoholic, but what that means, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, is that when I start drinking, I can't stop and control the amount I take. And that kind of looks like, oh, you know what? It's, uh, it's Thursday. I'm going to be home by 10 tonight. I'm going to leave the bar by 10. Oh, it's 11. Okay, I'm going to leave the bar by 11. Okay, you know what? Midnight. That's, oh, well, i got to buy back. Okay, well, no, i got to buy back from the one. Oh, it's one. Okay, I'll just stay. For, oh, well, you know, I might as well stay till closing. I'll get up for work. You know, and that whole thing. And then, you know, I know one time I was like, I was dating someone. We were living together. And I called him at 6 o'clock. And I was like, I was supposed to make dinner. And I was like, I'll be home in an hour. So, where are you? I'm like, I'll just be home in an hour. <laughs> And then at 8 o'clock, I'm like, I'm still, uh, still tied up. I'm like, where are you? And I don't even know. I'm going to bar. I'm going to work. I was like, oh, come and get me. I was like, um, I'll be home in an hour. You know, then it's midnight. Now I'm completely lost. Mm. Like, you're drunk. I should come and get you. Click. That's <laughs> right. You know, and then, and, you know, and then I was, and then I called, I think I called one more time at like 2 o'clock, and he was mad at me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. He's mad at what, you know, and then you talk to everyone at the bar, and you complain about how horrible this guy is supporting you. Like, I can't believe that. I'm like, he <laughs> 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 But I saw nothing wrong. <laughs> You know, and then I get home and we've got an attitude and the next day there's problems, you know, and I'm like, I wonder why that drink. What's the real alcohol? But, you know, the truth is, because that made it okay. That made sense in my mind. You know, I didn't realize that that was why I couldn't leave the bar at 6 o'clock. I couldn't leave the bar at 6 o'clock. It was actually... One would say physically impossible. So my body is different from a non-alcoholic, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that my liver and my pancreas process alcohol differently than a non-alcoholic. You know, our, uh, in our big book, they talk about that allergy that someone, you know, Dr. Silver, you know, he had this theory way back when. Well, now they've proven that our liver and pancreas are actually different. We don't process um, 
the chemical in alcohol the same way. And because that chemical builds up in our system, it creates a craving for more. And I don't like to say it because I always mispronounce it, so I just skip yeah. saying the chemical. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and because of that, it makes it impossible for me to just have one, to just have two. Then when I have two, now I have this buildup going on, and this makes me crave the third, and the third makes me crave the fourth, and this cycle continues. And that's, I also have an obsession of my, in my mind. And the book talks about that being a phenomenon of some sort. That, and they say maybe we'll never know the age-old riddle of why we have that obsession. But I have an obsession in my mind that will cause all of the thoughts to be blotted out. That will say, it's okay that you were supposed to be home at 6 and it's midnight. It's, that is perfectly fine. And that I walk into that bar, though it's never happened before, and I say, I'm only going to have one or two. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe it. I'm sure you all can identify with it. And so, like I said, there are people along the way, you know, when I was sitting in the therapist's office, and they would tell me, thank you, alcohol. You know, and I would tell them, I'm like, you probably think everyone's an alcoholic. <laughs> and they're like, um, no, sorry, we think you're an alcoholic. And I was like, oh, You know, I thought they were like, you know, what did they know? They read a lot of, you know, wordy books and whatever. I was like, I have emotional problems. Let's talk about that and use my alcohol. And then, the one therapist had me do a little experiment, which I remember, and this is, I probably was like 22, she said, tonight, you know, she never told me not to drink, which was probably, why? Because why would you tell her? She knows it's impossible for me not to. So I want you to go tonight when you go to the bar. I'm not going to tell you not to drink. But I want you to just for the first five minutes not order a drink. For five minutes. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. I remember I was at the inn in Long Beach. Uh, and all my friends were already out. So they, you know, I had to, I had to catch up. But I was caught up a little too much, you know. And so I walk in, and let me tell you, I don't think I made it to five minutes. It was like, you know, the clock was like, ding, ding, the second half. It was so loud. I thought, man, like, there's three minutes. I just stood there like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with my stuff. Like, people are like, hi, I'm like, yeah, hi. <laughs> What's up? I'm like, you just got off of work. Like, you know what? I didn't know. And then, like, as soon as, like, you know, I felt like, I felt, I didn't actually look at my watch. It felt like five minutes. It could have been two. I don't know. <laughs> I was at that bar so quiet. I'm like, I didn't even fear the shot. So when I saw it next, I said, did you do that? She said, and what was that experience like? I said, it was hard. <laughs> she said, why? because I was bored. I didn't know what to do with myself. She said to me, Deb, you know what happens when I go somewhere and I'm bored? I said, no. She goes, I leave. <laughs> 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 she said, I don't change who I am. <laughs> I was like, I don't like this. She <laughs> <laughs> also told me one time, you know, it, stayed, it wouldn't make any sense to me. Like, I heard her, but I didn't hear her, you know what I mean? So, like, it's probably, like, 
you know, over 10 years before that woman made any sense to me. She said, if you want out for a nice dinner, send me a lot of money. She said, you know, and then you get home and your head is not feel so good. Your stomach doesn't feel so good. You're in bed and you can't get comfortable and you feel so awful. It's an experience. So you might think, what? You've got food poisoning, right? Possibly. She's like, you might actually go to the hospital. You've got food poisoning. That's what you do. Yeah. So would you go back to that next time? No, I got food poisoning. She said, but you do that every night when you go to the bar. So, that, you know, that wasn't a good therapy day. <laughs> You know, so it's not like people didn't propose this, but it just couldn't, I couldn't, it couldn't penetrate me. You know, because alcohol was the one thing I could tell you I could depend on and that I love. Because you could all be my best friends, and you could walk away. As long as I had my alcohol, I'd be fine. See you later. And, um, and that's pretty much, you know, I lived life, but I had, and I had, you know, lots of different things happen. And so how did I wind up in AA? Well, you know, those people had been saying that. Many people had proposed that to me. And um, he was about, yeah, it was a 98, something like that. It's foggy sometimes when you look back on time when you come in because you're a little foggy. And um, my stepfather, I told you, would raise me. He wound up getting terminal cancer. And for the first time in my life, alcohol wasn't working for me. Like, I couldn't drink it. Like, that never happened to me. My friend was always a reliable, solid friend. You know, if anything would happen, I'd be like, you know, I could always shrug it off. And so I felt like I was really freaking out. You know, I was, I was just freaking out. I was losing it. I don't remember ever being that angry in my life. I used to work in um, Hempstead down on Fulton Street, which sometimes some people might think is not the best area all the time. And uh, I remember, especially at night, there used to be people, you know, who were not little seedy, hanging out in the parking lot, <coughs> laying in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, so laying in the parking lot. You gotta watch where you pulled into a truck. <laughs> 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 so, uh, I was so mad. I wanted, like, I would look at people like that. I wanted some of the start. Because I was so angry. I was filled with rage. So I just wanted an excuse to freak out on somebody. And nobody would start with me. I'm like, oh, God, only me. You know, we had parole right downstairs. I'm like, nobody? <laughs> but at the same time, I was filled with utter sadness, you know. And uh, so I said, you know what, let me go see what this AA was about. And I came in, and like I said, I didn't know what an alcoholic was. I definitely did not think I was an alcoholic. I was just coming in to put this to bed finally. Because I still felt like, you know, there was something definitely wrong with me. You know, I still didn't know what that thing was. But definitely there was something wrong with me. And um, I met some very pleasant people. You guys were having a pleasant life. And uh, I thought... I didn't know if I believed you guys were all not drinking. You know, I was a little fucked up to that. Maybe you guys aren't, weren't all getting drunk. You know, like maybe you're drinking just not getting drunk. And, um, and also I was, uh, I just couldn't think of myself as an alcoholic. Like I said, I didn't know what that was. And so I came in and, uh, 
I did everything you're not supposed to. I did no step work. I went to big book study a couple of times. I didn't understand why you guys studied this book. Yeah. You know, I, I was a simple reading level. Right. At the time, one of my sponsors who was trying to help me, like half the women in Ocean Club sponsored me. When I see them, they're like, oh, hi. I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> That's you know, like one of my sponsors. I'm like, you know, it's like my husband's like, how many people did sponsor me? <laughs> well, I went out of wow. <laughs> I get a new sponsor every time. So that was surely the thing. Even though they all were saying, oh, really fast and, um, yeah, I remember saying to one of my sponsors, you know, that, uh, can he listen to this? Because I see that study of Like, you know, she should have smacked me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like so obnoxious. Meanwhile, here I am, so obnoxious, not listening to anyone, very judgmental, and I keep going out drinking. Yeah, yeah, turn around. Someone said, I said, you know, people would come up and tell you what was wrong. You know, sometimes people mean well. Like, you know what your problem is? And I'd be like, okay, what's my problem? People would come up with all kinds of things. And then someone came over and they said, you know what your problem is? And I'd say, no. You're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought no one else could tell you you're an alcoholic. Only you could decide that. And they said, in your case, you've been watching <laughs> I stopped. What do you mean I can't say stop? But they're like, no, that doesn't mean you said you stop. They're like, you keep coming in and out. Because that is why. I was hoping for a heavy drinker, you know what I mean? I was like, heavy drinker. <laughs> <laughs> Another person told me who, who uh, I remember outside the big book study, I was out uh, in the back of St. Anthony's. People, I mean, I went out. I had a lot of coins. I went out a lot. So I would always be, like, waiting for it. Like, someone would say some magical thing, and then I'd be sober. You know? <laughs> and uh, he said, you know what, kid? You know what your problem is? And, you know, people like to tell you what your problem is. I was like, all right. He's like, you have no idea how sick you are. Wow. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you have no idea how sick you are. You have step one problem. I was like, what do I do? He's like, I can't help you with that. He's like, you have to find that truth yourself. I was like, oh, he, he, yeah, I cleaned it up a little. And, uh, I was like, very, oh, you know, it's nothing to help. I didn't understand. You know, but that was actually, those two people were the ones who said the most truth. And it would take me a long time to realize what that was. And then for me, and I had a, you know, I, like everyone else, I came in with a million things, you know, and a million, I was uh, very defiant. I didn't want to listen to people. I had an answer for everything, even though it was usually the wrong answer, but I thought it was right. And uh, I had a God problem. I didn't think there was a God. So I thought now I'm really uh, up, up the creek, you know. And I really didn't understand what you people, you know, it was nice that it made you guys feel better. That's nice. I'm glad for you. But I live in reality. Reality. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so, of course, I had some difficulties. You know, my first, my struggle is mostly my history.
three has been one, two, and three. That has been my biggest struggle, which caused most of my relapses in the past. And, um, and then one night I met this woman at uh, Keep It Simple in Oceanside. And usually I Keep It Simple, I like that meeting because it was a very social meeting for me. You know, because I could, I did all, you know, I told you I did all the things you shouldn't do. Like, I like to sit in the back with all the other people who were just as sober as me. You <laughs> know, <laughs> jump around and talk, when the speaker speaking and talk about everybody else, go out a million times and smoke, you know, saving <laughs> everybody else, no one staying sober. <laughs> So I loved that meeting. <laughs> and then, uh, then one night this woman came, and she wasn't, maybe I had heard other speakers like that, but I really feel it was God's hand for me. I feel like I have, I have the Holy Trinity of sponsorship. <laughs> and this woman, for whatever reason, she spoke to me, and I was able to hear her. And she Someone finally gave me the word because I didn't know how to explain what it was. She was so in love with her higher power, with her God. I was, like, blown away. She wasn't, like, preachy or anything. She was cool. I would have wanted to drink with her. You know, she was very pretty. She was tattooed. She was a very cool girl. And uh, she was so in love with this God of hers. And she also had a similar background to me. She, she was tricky. And she wasn't miserable about not drinking. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And I didn't really. And I actually believed her. And someone said to me, "Her conviction convinced you." Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Finally, I didn't have words. And so I wanted to find out because I never really saw when people said, "Find someone who has what you want." <laughs> and I guess up until that time, maybe I just never thought. But I wanted what that woman had because my father was still dying. He's very sick. And uh, her brother had just passed away from this disease. And she, I remember her speaking. She was out jogging that morning. And she said she never felt closer to her brother and her God than that morning. She could feel that with her. I was having the complete opposite experience. Like, how could that be? And that sounded like something I'd want to know about. I wanted to know how could that be. So uh, I stalked her and she became my father. <laughs> And she really helped me to find a power by which I could live, which I thought was impossible. Because her love for her God, you know, was so compelling that despite her faith or anything else, she just wanted me to find that. You know, and, um, you know, to this day, I'm so grateful to her because, you know, how do you say thank you for finding this gift? You know, for the rest of my life, I'll I'll be able to have my friends. You know, which I think of as my God, because this woman stood up in a meeting and shared her experience, strength, and hope. And she said, if you don't want to hear about God, you better get out now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, she... <laughs> yeah, she... Like oh, yeah, you don't like that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and she really just... I don't know... To this day, I always said, you know, if you ever wind up on CNN or anything, serial killer, I'm behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you could do, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, my husband's like, you didn't love that girl. <laughs> and I'd love to say at that moment on, I stayed sober. But I didn't. <laughs> because you need more than that. 
See, I didn't follow, I still couldn't follow anyone's direction. I still didn't think I needed to listen to anybody. You know, and, uh, and so after I drank again, and I thought I had the greatest sponsor in the world, and now I had drank, so now it couldn't have been my sponsor's fault. Because up until that time, it was always my sponsor's fault. You know. And sometimes you can find people who will find that information and agree with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is dangerous. So I went to her sponsor. Ha! Little did I know, if I thought she was tough, oh boy. <laughs> and, uh, and this person really taught me program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That there is a program of Alcoholics Anonymous and I did not get to choose how the program works. This is how the program works. If I want to be part of the program, this is how it works. And this is what I will do. I did not have a sponsor who said, well, I suggest that you do this. My sponsor did not say that to me. My sponsor said, this is what you're going to do. My sponsor said that he guaranteed I can get sober but the catch was that I, I had to actually follow what he said. That was the catch. And I was like, "Have you guarantee it? He's like, yeah, but you got to actually follow my direction. Mm. And I needed a lot of direction. I know some people feel that, well, sponsor, you need to do steps and that's it. But I was lost in AA. Mm-hmm. I was miserable drinking in AA. I, my life, I was completely unmanageable. I needed a manager to help me get my life together. And I don't mean like, you know, balance my checkbook. I mean like, it's a good idea to get up on time for work. It's a good idea to go to work. But if you're supposed to be at a meeting at 7, you don't walk in at 7.10. I'm like, I remember, I don't know if this person, he's here tonight, I don't know if he remembers the one time I came in a meeting late. And he was chairing the meeting. So he never told me to come, not come. You know, he said, you know, you show up at a normal time. He never discussed it. So I came in late. And he's there. And he's like, oh, look who's arrived. Now everybody stop. Let's <laughs> 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 sit down. <laughs> Well, in the beginning, good, strong sponsorship I strongly believe in. 
I don't know about you guys, but I was out of my mind. I needed a lot of help. And I didn't really have that connection yet. That strong enough connection to get there. So I needed someone to help me until I could plug in and hear that. And where I wouldn't need someone to constantly be helping me. Not constantly, but be helping me through it. And uh, I'll just say one other thing, because now I laugh, because I was like, oh my God, he's smart. And uh, I also called one day from a gas station. I was complaining, and I said a derogatory statement about the person who was supposed to be pumping my gas because they were taking too long. He was like, excuse me? Like, you know, that's what I had said. And he's like, well, why aren't you pumping your own gas? I said, well, why should I when he's doing it? He's like, I thought you were complaining about money. I said, it's only a few cents. He's like, what is it? He's like, I think for now on you'll be pumping your own gas. I was like, now remember, now you've been helping me read this book and learn about it. I can read them. No, it does not, but I am telling you. And whenever I started getting a little, you know, rowdy or whatever, he'd be like, we can go back to how it was before, Dale. You know, like, he, he was willing to be like, okay, take care. You know, who needs who? I was like, oh, my God. And then I proceeded to call as many people as I could to tell them this atrocity that had happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, some people agree with me. But some people were like, mm-hmm. They just said, mm-hmm. But I was like, <laughs> And, you know, I always feel, my God has a very good sense of humor. And uh, for the next few months, everywhere I went, it was full service. I had to like drive around to find self-service. <laughs> and then I'd be like, it'd be raining, it would be cold, and I'd be thinking, oh, I can't believe it. What's the point? What's the point? Who cares? I'll give him the 50 cents. I had no idea, not why I was told to pump my own gas. But I was okay. If this is going to help, I'll pump my own gas. Later on, I asked, Pumping with the gas. <laughs> he said, I wanted to see if you were just going to follow some direction then, because if you weren't willing to follow that simple direction, you weren't going to be able to follow through with the rest of the directions that I was going to give you and this program needs you to do. Wiley Coyote Wiley. I was bamboozled. <laughs> 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 well, eventually I got to not pump my own gas, but these days I. But, um, you know, I needed that kind of, you know, you know I, had a, I got taken out of those meetings, you know, where we, a BMW meeting, friends, you guys, you know, and I was like, these are the meetings, I was told where I was going. You know, some people are like, oh, choose a home group, you can go. This is where you're going. You're going to be in a solution-based meetings. These are where you're going to go. So you can be around the solution. Because you've been very sick. You don't need to be around all that sickness. Mm. Oh, my, my friend. <laughs> you want to save your life? You see your friends after. And it was hard, you know what I mean? Because I felt like now I'm not part of it anymore. But I started learning. Like I go, my home group is in Valley Stream and all of that, and they have a Facebook study on Monday. And I started going there. There are some people there. I'm like, how do they know all this stuff? <laughs> I mean, really, I'd wait to see, like, a, a friend of mine, Herb, would sit on the steps, and I didn't know. When you first hear this stuff, it's pretty amazing. I'm like, that's not going to 
I was always interested in what he had to say because I never heard it. And so I was excited about it. And some of these promises are going through these steps going to happen in my life. Then, as the book warns, you know, I feel like everything in this book is true. And, uh, the rest went on my law. See, I was doing so well. Did you guys know how I was doing that? I actually did a big book study with my father. <laughs> Look at me. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't realize, like, that was going on. You know, I had fallen asleep at that book study. And I started acting out in different ways, not telling anyone. I mean, my dog knew, but, you know, he wasn't saying anything. Like and so then I was becoming sicker and sicker. But keeping the front going on in AA. You know, I'm great AA. But I'm getting sicker and sicker. And then one day, suddenly, mm. oh my God, how did that happen? Shocked and stunned. People were shocked and stunned because I am a great actress. You know? Really, we're just liars. Now, <laughs> uh, one of my, my, uh, my other sponsor would say to me, she's like, Deb, you're going to lie someday. I want you to know it's okay. I'm like, she's like, you'll find that insulting. But she's like, no, it's okay because we're liars. That's who we are. Want me to lie to her? And so then I felt that was probably for me a bottom I didn't know because you see every time I went out, I uh, I would just come back. I, I didn't really lose you know losing stuff out here never meant much to me. You know when I talk about my home and when we grew up in Brooklyn, my uh my biological father was uh. Well, he was in a, a different type of regular business. He was, he was a drug dealer. Apparently, mm-hmm. he was quite successful because we lived a nice lifestyle. <laughs> and so, but you know what? My family was so filled with chaos and unhappiness. But we had nice stuff. You know, and I always talk about this story about this woman. Uh, and so one time I went over to her house after school and her mom was there. And her mom had cookies. Her mom sat us down. Helped us with our homework. <coughs> and then my mom asked me if I wanted to stay for dinner. And her dad came home. And they all had dinner together. Everybody was really nice. You know, it was like such a nice feeling. Like you could smell in the apartment, like, you know, food. It's cooked on a regular basis, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I like dinner in this apartment. <laughs> and, uh, and that night, you know, I found lying was a good thing when I was younger, too, because they said, Oh, you know, it's getting late. Maybe you should call your parents. I didn't have anyone to call. You know? I said, well, they need a call. Which they weren't, but I had a key. They said, well, do you have a key? And I was like, no. Hmm. And they were like, oh. Well, I guess you should stay with us. I was like, inside, I'm like, yay! Yeah! So, you know, I stayed over there at Venus's. It was wonderful. I was like, I want to be here every day. But meanwhile, back at my house, if you walked in there, you know, we had a, you know, my father, we, we joked, you know, the guinea gone wild that was in our house. Like, right, marble and velvet, and we had the royal lamb going on. And, uh, so it was a certain way, you know, we went on, like, vacation, like, two or three vacations a year, you know, all this stuff. Stuff. I would have given every 
stays away from the indigenous You know, out here never mattered to me. You know, people thought we didn't stop. I didn't care. But what I lost that last time I drank was, see, I never had a higher power. Remember I said that to you guys? I never had anything to lose like that. I didn't realize when I drank that last time that when I woke up, that connection with my higher power was completely gone. Not even a smidgen was left. I don't, I was not that, like, you know, I didn't bargain for that. I mean, oh, I know, you know what I mean? And it was devastating. I was devastated beyond belief. And I thought that after having a sponsor who really just changed my life, having a support group, and I had lied to everybody. I lied to my husband because I had drank before and didn't tell anyone. I celebrated. I told you I'm a liar. And uh, now I was in for it. And I had a horrible, horrible time. I, was, I remember when this meeting started, I wouldn't go back to my home group. I used to go Tuesday night. This meeting, I met the man who really had a vision about this meeting. I used to come here, and uh, I was crying. I was miserable. And I thought I was never going to get this back. Look what I had done. And... Um, but God, my God is greater than any of that. And it had to happen. And I'm glad it happened. Because it brought me, my ego, and everything else down. And so I, you know, I, uh, I had lied and deceived my sponsor. So I'm even a little hurt, you could say, after all, everything he had done for me and been through with me. My husband, my friends. It was very bad for me. And for other people, too. And so... When I finally, this last time, which I pray to God, will be my last time by, by the grace of God, because I believe that's what it is, I had a different experience. And, you know, today it's really not for me if I know what, for me, I don't know, you know, I can't always remember what things, what page things are. You know, my higher power is not this big book. You know, someone says, don't get stuck on page 164. Mm. Today I feel like I'm not stuck on page 164. I realize there's so much more. And I realize that everything in my life really is based on my spiritual connection. I, everything in my life. And I didn't get that before. No idea. And going through these steps and really having a different, a spiritual experience through these steps. Where before I think I had an experience, oh, I'm not really sure. It's hard to say. You know, but I definitely had an experience. I didn't drink first for a And uh, for me, one of the, also was three for me, a very difficult thing for me was, I didn't understand. My father said to me, how do you turn your will and your life over to, to God? When I was working with her. He said, uh, what do you mean? So I don't want you to tell me how do you do it. I said, what do you mean how do I do it? I was, she's like, oh, physically tell me how it's like, I pray. So I want you to reread this step. When she said it, says for the care of your God, that God is going to take care of you, that you're willing to surrender, and let God take care of you from now on then. That for now on you don't have to run the show. You don't have to worry about all those things. And it came back to, you know, what my 
sponsor who helped me find that house hire said to me, she said, you know, Kathy Reed, don't worry. And uh you vital this whole section. And came back to me like the concept of what don't worry was about. You know, I don't have to freak out all the time anymore. You know, I have something to rely on. Just like I relied on alcohol, I was relying on the wrong thing the whole entire time. And, uh, you know, and I also used that analogy, like how a parent cares for a child. You can't always turn your child's will over to you. I said, you know, anyone who wants to uh, hang out with a two-year-old for a little while, try and get them to, to give them your will. <laughs> it's not going to be very successful. <laughs> but you're always caring for them. You want them to choose that. And I feel like, for me, that's what my God is today. He wants me to always choose his way. Sometimes I go a different way. I'm a knucklehead, you know? But I, it's a progress for me to learn about the spiritual world. You know, I, that sense has to be developed. And as long as I continue, I believe, to be open with it, it can develop. For me, I didn't have a lot of difficulty with the fourth step. Like I said, I've been a good therapy girl. I was like, oh, I don't want to stop that. <laughs> but, you know, like it says in the big book, to observe how, uh, right, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not sure how it says it, but, you know, to kind of see how others are wrong is as far as we ever got. And it's something, something along those lines. And that was true. But I never figured out, when you go to therapy, talk about your feelings, how everybody wrongs you, they give you money, you go away. <laughs> And you do the same thing. Somehow that's supposed to help me get better. And sometimes there'd be a little insight, but generally I didn't know what to do now. So then what? The difference here is to see how I, me, was the problem. To see how I had really set things up. I wasn't everybody else. And I had never imagined that. Because in my world it really seemed like that. <clears throat> And the great thing about that is if it's me, through this program, and through my higher power, I can change that. I can't change you guys, but that I can change. And so uh, when that, that idea of the fourth step of getting rid of all that stuff that weighed me down, I, I, was, I was okay with doing all that. Five, you know, I just thought after my sponsor, I haven't listened to all this, you know. <laughs> And uh, for me, you know, I'm just speeding up because, you know, I didn't realize I was going to be blabbing so much. <laughs> but, you know, God will have me say what he will have me say. You know, if I, like I said, so bad my poor sponsor having to listen to all this. And, uh, you know, for me, six, the preparation step, seven. You know, it's important for me to reflect on the things that are objectionable to me that I found out in step four and five. Because I didn't think a lot of my behavior when I had done a fourth step before was objectionable. I thought it was perfectly fine as long as you people didn't find out about it. I'll just go on my merry way. I had to see why that behavior was objectionable. Because otherwise I wasn't going to ask for it to be removed. Because if I think it's perfectly fine, why am I, you know, if I'm like, if I have my refrigerator and I look at the milk and it's a perfectly good date, I'm not going to throw it out. I'm not going to throw it out. But if I look at my milk and I know, you know, past the state, I'm going to throw it out. I needed to find out. But a lot of my stuff was past the state. It had to go. But I had to want to get it out. And um, 
And I was grateful because God took away a lot of that stuff. And it wasn't just like, you know, some wham, magical thing, some fairies came down. <laughs> I can't tell you, you know, how it necessarily, like even going, you know, I can't tell you what magic step it is. But somewhere through this process, you know, it occurs that not only am I free from exception to drink, which wasn't, you know, drinking, like they say, is the symptom. My problem was bondage itself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. And I become free of that, which has kept me a prisoner for so long, kept me asleep for so long. And that, uh, you know, by making these amends to people, again, you know, I didn't know that I, I don't feel sorry. I didn't know that. I, you know, but again, my words mean very little. And today, I don't think necessarily my words are something to go by. I'd rather speak with my actions. In my words, sometimes I pick the wrong words. I'm not always like, you know, sometimes a little broken like the person comes out and I'm like, oh boy. You know, so I try to go by my actions. And in the men, you know, I always say to people, you know, you don't go up to a friend and say, Sorry, you're broken, Sam. And walk away. If it's broken, you actually go with some tools to actually fix it. You're going to physically do something to fix it, to repair the damage. You're not going to wait for the fence to be like, oh, I'm fine. You know, any of that stuff. And I had to find that out. And that just because I thought I would get off the hook, like if someone let me go, like if I owed somebody money and they said, oh, forget about it. You know, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> that was. My sponsor was like, no. Mm. Whatever that amount of money is, you find some way to donate it. Because you still owe the universe that money. You don't get to keep it. Mm. <laughs> but thank God. Thank God my sponsor gave me that direction as well. And, uh, you know, when we... I'm just going to jump for a minute, you know, when we go through 12, having had that spiritual awakening, you know, that's, that's the key of all this, because on the rest of the steps, sometimes I think it's, it's odd, because all, all these steps don't make sense until you're in 12. Then they all kind of come together in a different way. Up until then, you're, you're starting to feel them out, but in 12, of having that awakening. Some people have awakenings, but you know, I think we have little awakenings all along. You know, and the steps look different as you go through them. And for me, you know, the result of this is carrying this message of alcoholics to practice these principles in all of our affairs is, to me, the most important step for me today because that's the only thing I know that I sometimes can do. Sometimes I can't practice the rest of these principles, but I know that when all else fails, it tells me work with another alcoholic will save the day. And I know that to be a fact when I've been in bad situations, which is tough. You know, things happen in our lives where life will come calling to you. You know, my sponsor always, uh, this ends at eight, right? My sponsor always said to me, you know, Deb, don't try and sell someone a bad deal of good. A is not about moonbeams and butterflies. Everything's going to be great for now on. And you're never going to have another problem again. Life is going to come calling. But at this point, you're going to know how to handle life when it happens. And a lot of times for me, my experience, you know, I can't practice all these principles when I'm doing some sort of, something heavy is on me, something's going on. But the one thing I know I can do, and thank God that we designed a program where we kind of force things 
we lock ourselves into commitments and things of helping another person or committing to other people that we're pulled out of ourselves. And then I always feel like that's when my God to come in and do his housekeeping. You know? And, um, you know, step 11, I was told, you know, you could start that right away. To me, step 11 is the most important step in some regards because that's where I connect with my friends. Yeah, I like when people call my friend. You know, I feel like God is, for me, and I, my God doesn't have to look. That's my favorite thing about AA, by the way. That my God does not have to be like anybody else's God. It's exclusive. It could be exclusive to me. It might look like a God. But it's the God that I think, uh, Emmett Fox talks about, you know, that secret place inside of you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that place. And today, you know, which is a miracle, is I know, which I didn't know before, that there is a God. Yeah, you know, I used to argue with people. I, you know, I joke around. You know, I actually had a fight with a priest one day who tried to bless me. You know, <laughs> I was violently anti-religious, like they say. And then, you know, and today I can say, you know, with all my heart, that my God is the most important thing to me. And my God loves me. And I have a God. And I believe that is why I'm here today. And that feeling that I talked about of not belonging, I honestly believe that it's not that I didn't belong, or even that people say they belong here in AA, they feel like they belong. I think it's because we belong because we connect to that greatest spirit in the universe. And then we're able to connect with each other in a deeper way. So we can feel a sense of belonging whenever we're with our fellow man. You know, because now I don't feel I'm not, like, consumed with self and being uncomfortable with self, 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 self. So, you know, I don't feel that same feeling of not belonging. I feel a sense of belonging to all of mankind. You know, we all are one and the same, and which is a real miracle for me. And, uh, you know, I can't really ever repay what was done for me for AA. You know, speaking here tonight <coughs> seems like, you know, how how is that payment for people who saved my life? <coughs> you know, and I, you know, I take this very seriously because people really did save my life. You know, when I came into AA a month before I came into AA, I tried to tell myself, that's where my alcoholism brought me. Today, that's not my life. And it's not because of something I did that's gone so wonderful and unique. It's the power of this program, the power of this pe- the people here, and the power that's in that universe. That's what changed you. You get to recreate your life with the promises, and I believe that's true. And so no matter where you are today, no matter who you are, that that promise is the greatest promise, I think, that for me, recreate, I thought my life was a mess. I get to recreate my life. And I thought that might not be true, but it's actually, you know, true. I got to recreate my life. And today I live a free woman. A free woman. How amazing is that when I was in constant bondage? You know, so uh, I want to thank you guys for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.